I want you to turn to Ecclesiastes, and we're, we're going over that theme, but as for me and my house, and um, give you some verses here up on the screen. As for me and my house, and, and we're going to look at these verses in Ecclesiastes, and let's go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and we're going to go 1 through 4. Let's go ahead and stand and read these. It's interesting that this is called, for, or the preacher, Ecclesiastes, because if you study um, Proverbs, it talks about wisdom. Ecclesiastes refers to basically the foolishness that, that Solomon went, went through to figure out what was important in life. There's a lot of people out in the world that's looking for what's important to life. And as you study Ecclesiastes, if you ever read it, it, it sometimes is depressing because you see all the things that he did and everything he tried and nothing, nothing worked. But I like how it ended. And so let's look in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1 through 4. It says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of his, all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it doesn't return void unto us. Every time we read it, it's, it's a living word where we can read the same passage over and over and get something different from it. It's not like any other book. Lord, we thank you for the book that you gave us, the laws that you gave us, and the commandments you gave us, and the examples you gave us. Lord, may we, may we truly understand exactly what you've given us, and may we hold that dear to our heart and apply it in our mind and our life. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to ask for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. As you look at these verses that we just looked at, um, it says in, this, in, the, in the fourth verse, I really understand the fourth verse now. It says, one generation passeth away, and yet an, and another generation cometh. But why does time go so fast? You know, I have to figure out how old I am now. I have to go, okay, now I'm, this year I'm going to be 53 years old. A couple years ago, I think it was two years ago, I woke my wife up and said, happy birthday, you're 47. It was last year. And she said, no, I'm not. She said, I'm 48. I said, no, you're 47. She said, well, I've been telling everybody this year that I'm 47. So she said, I feel like I've lost a year. You know, time flies by. I mean, how many of you in here have, been, have graduated from high school over 30 years ago? Man, I'm there. And, and if you ask the young people, if we're old, I guarantee you ask these Adam kids over here if we're old, they'll say, yes, you're old, all right? But man, time just flies by, doesn't it? And Solomon, when, he, when God asked him what he wanted, what did he say? Wisdom. And yet his, his own words were penned here and said, one generation passeth away and, and another generation cometh. There's another generation coming right behind us. What will we give to them? We're going to do a little bit of review um, from last week. Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. It says this, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He had to make a choice. And, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We looked last week, and we're going to do a little bit of review here. We looked at the first four kings of Israel. Um, Saul, David, Solomon, and Rehoboam in that order. They all started out good, but only one ended good. Really, Saul really started out great. 
He was what they, they needed and, and that's what the people wanted. But at the very end, what was his whole life's goal? It was to go out and kill David. It was to fight other armies, but the, his main goal was because his pride grew up that he just didn't like David. And he wanted to kill him and that's his whole thing, thing was with this. And then you have David coming on the scene and he came out of order because it, the other kings, how did they do it? It was their sons. Well, Saul was not related to David. God anointed David because he saw which way Saul was going. Now David, his son Solomon, and his grandson Rehoboam were all kings. We looked at last week, we looked at Rehoboam, how he started and he built up his empire, he built up his armies, and what did he do? Once he got strong enough, he went on his own. The Bible says that he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He didn't care what God wanted. He felt like he could hold it. And how many people are like that? It seems like people want God when there's problems, but when everything's going well, we don't need Him. Do some interviews with these people that go through these hurricanes down in South Florida. All of a sudden, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. But when it's sunny, do you ever hear them say, pray for us, pray for us? Because that's not how people usually respond. But as we look at these, there's only one that ended up good. That's David. You say, well, Solomon ended up good. If you study Solomon out a little bit, he did some things he probably shouldn't have done. And last week, we talked about two weeks ago, we talked about Rehoboam. Now, we're going to talk about Solomon. Solomon pins Proverbs, of course. He pins Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And so, we're going to look at some of these things here. When we look at, when we look at the, uh, the life that we have, where is America going? Does this scare you? The younger people, they might not see it. But I see what's going on, and, and I, see, I see my grandkids are going to be in this world. Scares me to death. Scares me to death that, that we talk ab about socialism. I don't want to live in a socialist country. All these people are fleeing these socialist countries to come to America. I don't want that. I want freedom. I, I, I like the ability to come and speak at a church service and not be worried about you being arrested. It might not always be like that. Two weeks ago we had the missionaries come and the, the Brother Snyder showed the Papua New Guinea. Um, the pro, it's, I think it's called Papua New Guinea Project. And the president of Papua New Guinea, a country, said, I want all the kids to have a Bible. Amen. And they handed out these Bibles, and it wasn't very easy to hand out. They, they showed some of the footage of what they had to do to get to these Bibles to them. And the kids were cheering for the Bibles. If we went into Bibles today in America, we tried to hand them out, I wonder what people would say. I wonder what the kids would say. They probably wouldn't be cheering like they were in Papua New Guinea. We live in a great country. and We have freedom. But if we don't change some of our direction with America, the church as a family, and personally, me personally, and you personally, we're going to be in trouble. It doesn't ever start. We don't start and, and end up in a bad spot. We start and we gradually go to that spot. Right? Let me give you an example. No one that starts with drugs ever starts with heroin. They start with cigarettes, and they, then they start with marijuana, and they keep going, they keep going until they get to those bad drugs because they never figured they would go from here to here. They just took one step here, and that one step gets them where they need to go. We've got to get back to understanding America's counting on us. This church is counting on you. Your family's counting on you. And personally, you need to have the right relationship with God. So Rehoboam comes on the scene, and we've talked about him, but now let's talk about Solomon. Ecclesiastes 1.8 Let's look at this verse. Ecclesiastes 1.8 says this, All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. 
The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What it's basically saying is we can't get enough. I remember in America, when we used to go to restaurants, we didn't have carry-out bags because they gave you the right amount. What do they do now? They give you an abundance of things when you go there. There are some restaurants you go, I am, you're going to have to roll me out of that restaurant. I remember when things were a little bit simpler, but you know what? Our eyes want more. If I were to take some kids over and show them a movie that they don't understand, it's black and white. They would just go, oh my word. If I watched some old Cary Grant movie and said, let's watch this movie, let's sit down and watch this movie, they would go, oh, that's boring. He's one of my favorite actors. Oh, it doesn't have explosions and death and arms and legs flying all off. You know why? Because they get more and more and more and more and more. And this verse says that. It says all things are full of labor, which man cannot utter. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. It's got to be more. Then it says your ear. When I think of this, I think of gossip. Man, I just got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. Got to have more. And that's what we, where we are in America. The information, the, the internet's not a bad thing as long as you use it the right way. But sometimes it's overload. I, I catch myself waking up and seeing what's on the news. Right when I wake up in the morning, boom, I hit a button and there it is. It tells me the top five stories. And then the next thing is I got to go outside because then I do what? Weather button. See what the temperature is. About three days ago, six, it was 52 degrees in the morning. Or 62 degrees in the morning. I thought, that can't be right. I went out, it was warm. The next day, it was 32, 34 degrees. I said, that can't be right. I went outside and it was right, okay? I mean, it was really cold. And so the weather changes all the time. So then I go on to my ESPN. I want to see if Duke got beat, praise the Lord, but they didn't. And, I, and as I look through all these things that, that I go through, information is readily available for you. And the Bible says this, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. Now who wrote this? The wisest man in the Old Testament and the wealthiest man. I mean, he had everything you could possibly want. How did he serve himself? How did he get to this point? Because he saw people around him and he saw who he was and what was going on back then, and it's worse now. Your eye can't get enough. Your ear can't get enough. And this is what it's talking about. So let's look at some things that he, he studied here. That Solomon tried all these things. He tried his heart. Let's look at these verses. We'll go through these pretty quick. The verses that I want you to see is... Um, he talks about his heart. He talks about his eyes. He talks about his mouth, his hands, and his money. Those are vitally important to us, right? Let's see what he says about him. In his heart, he says in verse number one, chapter 1, verse 13, it says this, it says, And I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. His sword of veil hath God given to the Son of Man to be exercised therewith. Verse number 16 and 17 says this, I commune with my own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to a great estate, and have gotten more wisdom than all that they have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive this also is a vexation of spirit. He was trying to get his heart and satisfy his heart need, and he never could. Go to chapter 2, verse 3, it says... I saw it in my heart to give myself unto wine. 
He's, he, he, he's trying to figure out what his heart wants. He, he goes after it. His eyes, in verse number 14, it says this, it says, I have seen all the works that were done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Here's a man that said, basically, everything is vanity. He goes to his mouth in chapter 2, verse 1, and verse 2 it says, I said in my heart, go to, the, go, go to now, I will prove thee with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what doth it? He's saying basically all these things that I'm trying to satisfy, my heart, my eyes, my mouth. He goes in with the hands, if you want to write those verses down, of everything that he built. Solomon, when you study him, you'll find that he was way above his time with the things that they created there. He had so much money. How would you like this? So much money you couldn't count it. I mean, that's the other fourth thing I hit, the bank account. Okay, all right. No eating out today, amen. I know to a penny what my bank account has in it. You, you, You go this, and he had so much money. He couldn't do anything. Let's look at these verses. I like this. Um, verse number, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he talks about his money. I gather into all silver and gold, the peculiar treasures of kings and of the provinces. I get me men singers and women singers and delights of the son of men as mu- musical instruments and that of all sorts. I was great and increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Verse number 4, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it says this. It says, um, then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet in, in there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. He tried to satisfy himself with all these things. He tried to get his heart and he, and he said, listen, I want whatever my heart desires, I'm going to go after. And at the very end, he said, it's all vanity of vanities. Could not find happiness with it. And then he, he does his eyes and everything he could see that he wanted, he, he had. He did it with his mouth of, of the words that he spoke. He did it with his hands, the things that he built. And then he had more money than anybody else. But he came to the same conclusion. He said, said listen, I can't be content with these things because this is not what's important in my life. This is what shouldn't be important. And most people are going after these five things and that's all they want, right? You know some people that everything that their heart wants, they get? And does it bring them happiness? No. It might bring them a temporal happiness, but guess what? It's going to fall apart. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. How many of you ever wanted something so bad you got it? Where's it at now? You know where mine is? It's called a landfill, Amen. I remember tennis shoes I just had to have. I remember clothes I just had to have. I remember vacations I wanted to go to. I remember cars that I needed to have. I remember buying my my, my first car from my dad and then souping it all up. It's hard to soup up a Ford Fairlane four-door that you see in Barney Fife episodes in in Mayberry every so often. I jacked that thing up and put... um, cherry bombs on the back so it would sound real loud, but it'd go to zero to 60 in about seven days, amen? (laughs) Could barely turn the tires. I had more speakers in that thing. I think I had 16 speakers in that thing. I had fur in the back window, amen? It was jacked up and it had Kragers on it. It looked nice. People walk up and say, you want to race? I'd say, no, I don't want to race you today. 
trying to save my gasoline. You know, I, I look and I think of all the things. That probably had more metal than 10 cars do right now. I'd probably drink out of cans that were made from that car. But it was something I had to have. Something my eyes saw and I wanted. That's how we live sometimes. The man that was the wisest man in the Old Testament, the man that had everything he possibly could have, found out it was worth nothing. Hmm. I went too far. If King Solomon tried everything, what can we learn from his efforts for satisfaction? I have these things written in my Bible. They've been written in my Bible many times. That, and watch this. If nothing worthwhile exists under the sun, my hope must be above it. If the wisest and wealthiest man had no answers to things above heaven, we must look to heaven. The things that are invisible are those things that keep you stirred. Amen? we got to be stirred of what God has for us. What can we learn from the book of Ecclesiastes and Solomon? The Bible says a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's, one's birth. That sounds kind of morbid. It's saying basically it's better to die than to live because he's went through all these things, gathered them all, got all of his knowledge, and he still doesn't have what he wants. He says, number one, you need to protect your name. A good name is better than precious ointment. Once you lose your good name, it's hard to get it back. Watch. Rahab, the what? How would you like to be called that for eternity? And you know what? She did a good deed. Well, the spies. But that's what she's known for. Jonah and the three days of his life. That's what he's labeled. It's hard to get that good name back. So, and the second thing is, life is precious, but death is glorious. Amen? We've had two missionaries. Is that right? Two missionaries passed away in the last two months? Two ladies. Both their husbands are still surviving and one of them has nine children, all the way down to age four, I think. They're, they're seeing something great now, though. And all the things that they were worried about, that Solomon was worried about, don't mean anything to them. The only thing that means anything is the eternal blessings. And here Solomon says, listen, protect your name. Life is precious, but death is glorious. And I wonder if he said this to his son, Rehoboam, because most people that study their Bible don't really know much about Rehoboam. They don't know his name. But he was an evil king. Protect your name. Solomon ends Ecclesiastes with two powerful verses. And we're going to look at these a little bit more next week. But I want you to turn to them and I want you to see this. The ends, he, he talks about everything is really, everything is, is vexation of spirit. In other words, it's just really not to live for. Now, we're not talking about a man that struggled to pay his bills. We're talking about a man that looked for reasons to build things. He spent his income on building these palaces that he did. I say that he did some bad things when he got older. You know what he did? He married too many wives with too many different religious backgrounds. And guess what? He started building temples for them also. 
And so it started running him down and it started doing things to him. But look at how he ends this, these, two, these two verses and we'll be done. It says this, and Solomon ends Ecclesiastes with these two powerful verses. It says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Basically what he's saying there is after all these 12 chapters I've written to you about things that are not really worth living for, he says this is the whole matter. Watch this. And the next two words are the most important verse, words in this verse. Fear God. It didn't say buy things. It didn't say seek things. It didn't say take things. It didn't say tax people. It didn't say all those things. It said fear God. And this is how you knew he was David's son. Because David feared God. And then it says this, and keep his commandments. Your heavenly father wants you to keep his commandments. You say, why is that important? How many of you when you're young, let's just be very honest with each other. How many when you were young did something that you didn't, you didn't want your parents to know about? Would you raise your hand? Okay. All right. I want, no, I want to see who's not raising their hand. Okay, I want to see the people. All right. Now everybody's raising their hand. All right. Larry Barnett. Larry Barnett didn't do anything wrong. What? Okay. His, his mom is sitting three rows. He, he, gets a, he gets a pass for that one. Okay. We'll talk later. How did you feel when you did something wrong when you saw them next? I always loved it when my mom would say, you wait till your daddy gets home. I was praying for his car to break down, praise God. Not to him get hurt, but I just did. And then when he'd come in, I thought, I'm going to try a tactic. I'm going to go tell him how good of a father he is. And I know now, as a father, what he must have thought. He must have thought, I need to go see your mom real quick. Boy, Dad, your car looks nice. You clean it really well, Dad. Do you want me to do anything for you? You want me to go get your slippers? I don't even know if you had slippers. Amen? Because when you don't fear the punishment and you do what you shouldn't be doing and you get caught because you've not followed His commandments, guess what? It's not a good thing when you see your dad again. And your Heavenly Father has rules in here, how to act, how not to act, where to go, where not to go, what to say, what not to say. Who to be, who's your friend should be, who your friend shouldn't be. All these things are found in here. And when you don't abide, abide by them, when you see your Heavenly Father, and you want to have communion with Him, it's hard to. But if you fear Him, and you keep His commandments, for this is the, look at the word that's highlighted, whole duty of man. It's what God intends for us to do. And this is written by the man that sought out after his eyes, after his ears, after his mouth, after his hands, after his money, after his heart. He says the biggest thing you can do is fear God and keep His commandments. And I'm glad he didn't end with that verse. Because he clarifies it with the last verse. Read the last verse. It says this, For God, the God that you're supposed to fear, and he keeps, you keep His commandments, says, For God... Shall, shall bring every work into judgment. And every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know what that tells me? That God is keeping an accurate record. How many of your memory is not as good as it used to be? It's funny, like Meredith is here with us, and I have to work through the girls in my life's name to get to her. It's like, Megan? No, I'm not Megan. She gets really mad when you call her the dog's names, okay? Okay? And I've done that a couple times, haven't I? And so I work through Vicki, Gwen, 
Meredith, there you are. And she looks at me and says, my name is Meredith, Dad. I know who she is. Sometimes our memory is not as good as it used to be. Can I, when we look at this verse, God doesn't have a memory lapse. God knows exactly who we are. And if God knows exactly who we are, God knows exactly what you need. Psalm and sought and sought and sought. It's almost a picture of not being content with anything. And at the very end, he realized the biggest thing he could do is fear God and keep his commandments because God is keeping an accurate record. I don't know how many of you drive different when there's a car behind you that has lights on the top. How many of you do that? I do. There's only three people that are honest in here, amen. Why? Because the guy behind me knows the rules. Charlie called me one day and said, your taillight's not working. And I was like, every time I try to fix it, it comes back on. It's like I healed and it's, it works again. And so I was driving, and, and we were moving things over to my house, and I made a mistake of asking Brandon to come, okay? And so Brandon's driving behind my car. And he's not driving in his police car, but he's driving in another car, and he makes a statement. He said, he texts Daniel, and he said, you do realize your taillight's out. And it made me nervous. <laughs> and so I went and bought a taillight that day to put in that car. And I had in the front seat... And lo and behold, I kid you not, when I was driving home, there was a police officer right behind me. And I was looking in my mirror to make sure it wasn't Brandon. <laughs> and then I was going to say, well, Charlie told me and Brandon told me and I'm going to fix it. Here's the light. Please forgive me. We act different when there's an authority above us. But God is always with us. How many of you believe that God is omnipresent? Raise your hand. And it's time for us to live that way. Because you know who's counting on us? Who's counting on us? America is. The church is. Your family is. Personally, you need to have that right relationship with God and fear Him. Solomon sought and sought and sought, never found happiness. The only happiness he had is when he was right with God. And he feared God and kept His commandments. I wonder when he saw his son, if he hoped that his son would do it. But his son didn't do it. My daughter is here today, and I had the privilege of spending time with my other daughter and my granddaughter this week. It's wonderful to know that they're in church, that they read their Bible, and they pray. They're not perfect, but it's wonderful to see that. We need to understand what's important. Make what's important important. Quit seeking after things that, we, that, will not, that are temporal. That's what we do. We need to do what's right. 